Well, hey friends, welcome back to our campus in Lexington. It's not quite as scenic as Harvard Yard, but it's a little easier to manage. Well, a popular news radio station here in Boston has a pretty good tagline. Now more than ever, they say, it matters where you get your news. Now, what do they mean by that exactly? Why does it matter now more than ever where we get our news? Well, for one thing, the stakes are pretty high. We're in the midst of a pandemic right now that has claimed 100,000 lives and, and put the entire world on pause. And so we want to know what's happening. We want the news about, about this disease, about the, the economy, about what we can do and when we can do it. And we want that news to be reliable. But it also matters because there are so many sources of news to turn to. Newspapers, print media, radio, TV, the internet, 10,000 bloggers. How do we know who to listen to? Which one can we rely on? And the problem isn't just that there's so many, it's that every one of them has a bias. They all come from a certain perspective and often have an agenda. Maybe you've seen one of these media bias charts. Gives you an idea of how many sources of news are out there and which direction they tend to lean politically. I'll give you a second or two to find your favorite news outlets there on that chart. But hopefully you have diversified your personal news feed so you're hearing from a variety of sources. The point is every news source, even those in the center, have a bias and, and none of them are infallible. Truth, it turns out, can be elusive. It's hard to discern truth sometimes amidst all the, the data and the debate that's out there. So where do we turn for news, for answers, for truth? Let's see what Peter has to say here in his letter about this pursuit of truth. I'm reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Well, this is Peter's second letter to these believers scattered around Asia Minor. And the general consensus is that he wrote this letter toward the end of his life, sensing that the end was near for him. In fact, the form of the letter resembles a kind of last will and testament, as if he is offering up his legacy uh, to, to his readers, to the Christians there in that part of the world. He clearly wants to leave them on solid ground as he departs because he knows they're living in, in uncertain and even perilous times. So he says in verse 12, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. Now last week I pointed out that Peter was writing as a pastor. And one of the things that pastors do is to remind people of things. I mean, I know that many of you have been following Jesus for a long time. You've sat through a lot of church services. So most of the time when one of the pastors or I am up here and we're talking to you from the scripture, we're, we're usually telling you things you probably already know. I don't think most of you are out, sitting out there saying to yourself, wait, what? Jesus rose from the dead? 
I mean, you know these things. So most of what pastors do is to remind people of things. Now, we try to remind you in ways that are fresh and memorable and practical. But, but, but they're things you already know. It's kind of like your parents reminding you to change the oil on your car or to make sure you're putting some money into savings. Important things, things you can build a life on. And what Peter wants to remind his readers of is of the truth they have already received. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Apparently, these were well-taught believers. They were firmly grounded in their faith. They, they had a, a, a body of knowledge about the life and teachings of Jesus. And that knowledge, that truth, is the foundation upon which he wants them to build their lives. He uses the word established. It carries the idea of something that is fixed, that's uh, steadfast, that is unshakable. You don't have to be an engineer to know that a house is only as strong as its foundation. And if you have a good foundation, you can build just about anything on it. A house, a life, a career, a church. And honestly, when I read these verses, the way he's describing this congregation, it reminded me of the Grace Chapel congregation. Because this is a well-taught church and has been for decades, long before I came. Grace Chapel has always been known for its solid, relevant biblical teaching, not just on Sundays, but, but across all of our ministries to children and students and adults. You are thoughtful, engaged listeners and learners, and I love that. Hardly a Sunday goes by that I don't get a handful of emails from people uh, in response to the message that was just preached, maybe asking a question or offering a further thought or sometimes challenging something that was said. And I love that most of the time. I really do. I love knowing how people are interacting with the scriptures. I love knowing that over 2,000 people are participating in groups here at Grace, sitting together on a regular basis and wrestling with the truth of scripture and its meaning for their lives. I love the fact that even during this lockdown, we're continuing to provide biblical content to our children and our students and, and our adults and groups as well. We have a well-founded, well-grounded community of faith resting on a firm foundation, the truth we have now received, to borrow Peter's phrase. But what is truth exactly? I mean, that was the question Pilate asked of Jesus that day. What is truth? Well, the dictionary tells us that uh, truth is that which is in accordance with fact or reality. Philosophers like to talk about correspondence. Truth is what corresponds with reality. For instance, if I were to make the statement Tom Brady no longer plays for the New England Patriots, that would be a true statement. Not because I want it to be true, along with the rest of the country. Not because I've declared it to be true. Not because Adam Schefter predicted it would be true. 
It's true because it corresponds with reality. Brady has signed a contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm trying not to smile as I say that. Now, having said that, let's acknowledge that truth can be elusive. It's not always a simple thing to get at the truth, to discern and discover the truth. It can take a lot of investigation, a lot of inquiry before we arrive at the truth about something. Scientists are still trying to arrive at the truth about this novel coronavirus. How does it spread exactly? How does it affect the human body exactly? What can we do to treat it? How can we stop it? Truth can be elusive. And truth can also be conflicting. Is it true that reopening our country will lead to more sickness and death? Yes, that's true. The data tells us that. Is it true that reopening our country is important to the health and well-being of people and our economy? Yes, that is also true. Realities that human beings need personal interaction and ways to make money and provide for themselves. And so governments and citizens have to, have to consider and weigh and balance both of these truths as they make decisions about what to do and when to do it. So truth corresponds with reality, whether we want it to or not. And because of that, I think we'd all agree that truth matters. If there's no such thing as truth, then you and I can't even have a conversation, let alone a relationship. Because if I can't count on the fact that what you tell me about yourself is true, then we have no foundation upon which to build a relationship. If a doctor is giving you a diagnosis, truth matters. If you're sitting in a courtroom accused of something you didn't do, Truth matters. If you're, if you're standing at the altar with someone you're about to marry and they say, I do, truth matters. So let's set aside this, this notion that there's no such thing as truth and that truth doesn't matter. Because if there's no such thing as truth, then even that statement is nonsensical because there's no way of knowing if it's true or not. But if there is such a thing as truth, then it becomes the very foundation of every human endeavor and relationship. So if there is such a thing as truth, and if truth matters, then the next logical question is, where do we find it? How do we recognize truth when it comes our way? Let's keep reading. Peter writes, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. How do we know if a thing is true? Well, we use our senses. 
We use our eyes and ears to gather data from the world around us, to, to get information. We use our senses. And then we use our minds to, 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 to analyze and synthesize and evaluate that data and try to discern whether or not it corresponds with reality or not. Now, the particular event that, that Peter's describing here, we, describe, we call the, the transfiguration. It was that moment when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the top of a mountain and his glory was revealed. His face changed, his clothes became white like lightning and a voice came from heaven. It was a remarkable event. But it was just one of many events Peter could have referred to. Things that they saw and heard and lived through with Jesus. Healings, miracles, the, the trial and the, and the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. These things really happened, Peter is saying. They correspond with reality. We saw them with our own eyes. We heard them with our own ears. But they weren't the only ones who heard and saw these things. There were many eyewitnesses. Today happens to be Pentecost Sunday. That's the day we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the, and the founding of the church. I'd be in big trouble with Pastor Ruthie if I didn't mention that today. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter went out into the streets of Jerusalem and, and he, he reminded this great crowd of things that many of them had seen and heard. Listen to what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Again, Peter isn't just spouting platitudes and, and, and wishful thinking. He's referring to actual events that really happened that correspond with reality. There's data, he's saying. There's information. There are eyewitnesses and ear witnesses, if there is such a thing. And friends, this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from just about every other religion on earth. Christianity isn't, isn't simply a collection of, of beliefs and practices and sayings that, that sound promising but can't be verified. Christianity is based on actual events that took place in real time, in real places. Places you can point to on a map. Historians inside and outside the church record these events, the life and times of Jesus. Unlike many of the mythologies of the ancient world, unlike many of the religious systems of today's world, Christianity, one scholar puts it, is, is, has a stubbornly historical basis to it. A stubbornly historical basis. For instance, lots of religions talk about life beyond death. Only Christianity has a founder who reportedly came back from the dead to talk about it. And so any pursuit of truth has to take into account the data surrounding Jesus of Nazareth, including the empty tomb and the transformation of his frightened followers 
and the worldwide church that exists to this day, 2,000 years after his death. So where do we find truth? We use our senses. We pay attention to the world around us. We gather data. And then we use our minds to synthesize that data, to analyze it and discern what it's telling us about, about the world, about God, about human experience. And that's why Christian people have always been on the vanguard of learning and education and, and scientific discovery. We've already talked about the, the founding of Harvard University by, by Christian people for the training of clergy. But that was just the beginning. Did you know that of the first hundred or so universities founded in this country, all but two of them were founded by Christian people dedicated to the study of this world that God has made. All but two of them, founded by Christian people on Christian principles. Let there be no doubt about it. The Christian faith is all about learning and inquiry and scientific discovery. Because the more we learn about the world around us and human experience, the greater our love and faith and trust in the God who made it all. So this might be a good time just to let you know that in a few weeks on Sunday, June 21st, in our online services, we're going to be honoring our graduates. In fact, we're not only going to be honoring our graduates, we're going to be celebrating all the students, all the teachers, all the parents who have been hard at work at this endeavor of education during this pandemic. So it's going to be a great Sunday on the 21st. So the first part of the answer to the question, where is truth, is, is the word reason. God gave us a mind and senses so that we can gather data, evaluate it, and find our way to truth. And Peter's simply telling us that there's data surrounding Jesus of Nazareth, and he's encouraging us to use our minds and senses and decide for ourselves if it corresponds with reality or not. But the quest for truth doesn't end there with reason alone. Peter goes on to tell us a second source of truth. Let's read the last section. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in addition to the mind and senses that God has given us to, to explore the world around us, he has also given us another source of truth revelation. Now, Peter describes it here as scripture, what we would call the Bible. Now, he's referring in particular to what we would call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. But we know from other places in scripture that the things that he's saying here apply to the, to the writings of the apostles and the New Testament as well. And he tells us two things about scripture. The first, he tells, thing he, first thing he tells us is that it's inspired inspired. Now, he doesn't use that particular word, but, but he tells us that the writers of Scripture didn't come up with this, these ideas on their own. 
but that they were, though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The image there is of a sailboat being carried along by the wind. So these writers, with their human personality experience, set the sail and then allowed the Holy Spirit to drive them towards truth. Now that particular word, inspired, comes to us from another letter in the New Testament written by Paul. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read, All Scripture is God-breathed. Now other translations use the word inspired there, but God-breathed is the more literal translation of the Greek word. In other words, these human beings wrote, and as they did, God was breathing life and truth into them. With their personality and their passions and their point of view, God directed them to reveal the truth about himself and about the universe and about human experience. I love the way Rachel Held Evans describes this dynamic of inspiration. She says, Inspiration is not about some disembodied, ethereal voice dictating words to a catatonic host. It's a collaborative process, a holy give and take, a partnership between creator and creator. Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed through this dynamic partnership. The second thing Peter tells us about the Scripture is that we can count on it. We can trust it. He describes the message as something completely reliable, and you would do well to pay attention to it. Now, the words theologians use here is the word infallible. It means dependable, reliable, never failing. It will never lead you astray. So where do we turn for truth? According to Peter, we, we turn to reason using the minds God has given us. And we turn to revelation, the scripture that God has provided for us. The pursuit of truth is a partnership between reason and revelation, between the divine and the human, between the mind and the spirit. And Peter paints a beautiful picture of how it works here, uh, this partnership. He says, it's like a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So, so we use reason to gather data about the world around us, and then we shine the light of God's word upon it so that we see it clearly, so that we see the whole picture and we see the whole truth, the truth about God. And, and this, this partnership, this dynamic process between reason and revelation, it turns out that was the founding principle, even of Harvard University. We spoke earlier about the, the school's modern motto, Veritas, which means truth. But if you look closely at the seal, the original seal of Harvard University, you will also find these words in Latin, Christo et Ecclesia, for Christ and his church. You see, the founders of Harvard knew that truth was not found in reason alone, 
but in the dynamic partnership of reason and revelation. In fact, in the early days, students at Harvard were required to read and reflect on the scripture twice a day in addition to their studies. So as Peter offers these final words of instructions to his readers and to us for this time of pandemic and beyond, he challenges us to build our lives, our homes, and our church upon truth. The truth we acquire and continue to inquire through our study of the world around us and the scripture God has given to us. And that's why I am so grateful for the legacy of this church, Grace Chapel, and its long-standing commitment to the thoughtful exploration of Scripture and the world around us, reason and revelation. We need both, because now more than ever, it matters where you get your truth. So let's not make the same mistake that Pontius Pilate made when he asked that question, what is truth? and then walked away without waiting around to hear the answer. The irony of that moment, but the tragedy of that moment, is that the truth he was seeking was standing right in front of him in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And so maybe the most important question isn't what is truth or where is truth, but who is truth? Who embodies truth? Who can lead us in the way of truth? Who can lead us into a life built on truth? That would be Jesus, who said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you're seeking truth today, that's a good thing. Read, study, reflect, observe, question, even doubt if you have to, but don't walk away until you have considered the the person standing in front of you today, Jesus, who we meet here in the scripture. If you have questions about Jesus or, or any of the things we've talked about today, please reach out to me. Send me an email, brian at grace.org. I'd love to start a conversation with you. But now, why don't you bow with me together as we pray. We thank you, Lord, for this world you have made in all of its beauty and complexity. We thank you for the minds you've given us to explore and understand this world, to enjoy it and to care for it. We thank you for the scripture, the way it helps us to make sense of the world and the way it leads us to your son, Jesus, who is our way and our truth and our life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.